Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Stop doubting, but believe. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our crucified and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word for our consideration this morning is our first lesson. We just heard it a few minutes ago. Uh, St. Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record it in the book of Acts, chapter 26. We heard, At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. This is the word of our Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised again because of our justification. Dear friends in Christ, we live in a very skeptical world these days, don't we? I think so many people, probably us included, tend to not believe everything we hear or read anymore. We're skeptical when we hear news, and with good reason. Whether it's um, an obviously biased media spinning a news story to suit their own agendas, or, or some crazy conspiracy theory that some acquaintance of yours forwards to your inbox, we just simply don't accept everything we hear or read at face value. We're skeptical. That's nothing new, however. 2,000 years ago, the news of Christ's resurrection was also met with a great deal of skepticism. Certainly, the disciples themselves, amazingly, didn't believe it. Not at first. They had heard the reports from the women who went to the tomb and found it empty and heard what the angel announced to them, that Christ had risen. A couple of them, John and Peter, went to the tomb themselves, saw it with their own eyes, empty with the grave clothes neatly folded there, but they still didn't know what to believe. They heard a report from those two disciples from Emmaus that Easter evening who said, we have seen the Lord, we walked with Him, we talked with Him. And yet, they still weren't quite ready to believe it, not until Jesus Himself stood there and showed Himself to them. But of course, the, maybe the, the biggest Easter skeptic of them all that first Easter Sunday was the Apostle Thomas, who forevermore will be known as Doubting Thomas, who was so skeptical, even though ten of his fellow disciples said, we have seen the Lord, we really did, Thomas. And he said, I'm not going to believe it. Not unless I can touch him. Not unless I can actually put my finger where the nails and the spear were. But skepticism about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead didn't stop with Thomas. About 30 years later, the Apostle Paul found himself testifying to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to a couple of very important but very skeptical men. During this Easter season, we are going to be looking at examples from the book of Acts of people who testified to the truth of Jesus' resurrection 
And in so doing, we're going to see what God has to say to us about us testifying to that truth to others. This morning, though, we want to especially look at what does it mean to testify to the truth to those who are skeptical. But before we, we look at Paul's testimony to the truth, let's maybe back up a little bit and, 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 and explore the background of this story. What, what brought Paul to those two important rulers? Why was he there testifying? And, and actually, the story begins about two years before the incident recorded in our first lesson this morning. Paul had gathered an offering for the poor, for poor Christians who were suffering from a, a famine who lived in Jerusalem. He had gathered that offering from congregations throughout the, the Roman Empire and now he went to Jerusalem with that gift to present it to those Christians. While he was in Jerusalem, Paul visited the temple. And there at the temple, enemies of Paul, zealots, re religious Jewish zealots, started spreading lies about him right there in the temple in front of all this huge crowd of people that had gathered there to the extent that it started a riot. And the rioters quickly began beating Paul so that it was obvious he probably wasn't going to survive except by the grace of God, the commander of the Roman army that was based there in Jerusalem intervened and took Paul into protective custody. While Paul was there in Jerusalem in protective custody in the, in the Roman garrison, Paul's nephew had heard about a plot to murder him. More than 40 of these zealots had taken a, a, a solemn oath that they wouldn't eat or drink until they had killed Paul. So Paul's nephew reported that to the commander of the Roman army there, and he took it seriously. And since Paul was a Roman citizen, he, he, he wanted to make sure that wasn't going to happen to him. So in the middle of the night, he sent Paul, accompanied by several hundred Roman soldiers, and sent him about 55 miles northwest to the city of Caesarea. And there Paul was kept in protective custody in the palace of the king, King Herod Agrippa. Paul was in a, in a very strange situation. He hadn't committed a crime. He hadn't even been charged with a crime. But here he was being treated like a prisoner. Well, the, the Roman governor at that time, his name was Felix, was a, was a corrupt man. And Paul ended up being imprisoned there in Caesarea for two years, never once charged with a crime. Well, Felix ended his career as governor of Judea and uh, the next governor that was appointed was a man by the name of Festus, Portius Festus to be precise. Festus wanted to get Paul out of there. He, he, he wanted to speed this thing up. He, he recognized you can't just hold this guy forever. That was good, but Festus decided the way to do it was to send him back to Jerusalem to face charges by the Jewish religious leaders. That was bad because undoubtedly 
that threat against Paul would be carried out there in Jerusalem. Paul would never receive a fair trial there and undoubtedly he would be murdered and his voice testifying to the truth of Christ's resurrection would be silenced. So Paul took advantage of his legal rights as a Roman citizen and he appealed his case all the way to the top to Caesar himself. That automatically meant Paul was going to go to Rome to face charges rather than to Jerusalem. Festus recognized he couldn't just send Paul to Caesar without there being at least some kind of explanation and charges against him. So Festus decided he better have a hearing with Paul and he wanted some help with that. So he called on the king, the Judean king, Agrippa, or otherwise known as Herod Agrippa, so that they could question Paul and find out what was going on. Paul began his his testimony to these two important leaders by basically uh, recounting his life, giving a quick summary of the life story of Paul. Paul told them how he had been a Pharisee, how he had been a persecutor of the Christian church, but how the risen Savior had appeared to him as he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians there, and how now he was proclaiming the truth of the resurrection of Jesus to all people, especially to the Gentiles. See, this is what Paul was doing. He wasn't trying to defend himself. He was looking for an opportunity to testify to the truth of Christ's resurrection. So here's, I think, maybe number one thing we can learn as we testify about the truth of Christ's resurrection, as we confess and witness our faith to others, and that's this. Take advantage of every opportunity we have to testify to the truth, no matter where, no matter to whom we have that opportunity. You never know when another one might come again. So how did they uh, receive his testimony? Well, after Paul got done saying that Jesus had risen from the dead, Festus, the Roman governor, rudely interrupted him and said, you're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Well, what can we learn about testifying to the truth from that exchange between Paul and Festus? I think there's one really important truth that maybe is easy to miss. But, but listen again to how Paul responded when Festus accused him of being crazy. Paul said, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. Notice how polite and respectful Paul was. I mean, he had just been interrupted. The man shouted and accused him of being crazy. But Paul remained calm and dealt with him in a very polite and respectful way. I think that is an extremely important lesson for us to learn as we share our faith, as we witness to the truth of Christ's resurrection to others. Being polite and respectful to people who don't share our views or our beliefs 
is something that is very rare these days, wouldn't you say? I mean, just take a look at the comment section online of a news article on the internet sometime, or don't. If you want to see people being rude and disrespectful to each other, or, or look at how people trash one another on social media because they don't share the same views that you, the others do. But that's not a way to testify to the truth of Jesus' resurrection. Paul was respectful and polite, even to somebody who had just rudely interrupted him and accused him of being crazy. Paul was, was doing what St. What Peter wrote when he said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I think another lesson we can learn about testifying to the truth in Paul's exchange there is what Paul didn't do. He, he didn't immediately launch into some elaborate and, and, and clever argument to convince Festus. He simply said, what I'm saying, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is true and it is reasonable. And then he went right back to the scriptures. When testifying to the truth of Christ's resurrection, don't think you have to be some amazing orator, that you have to have some, some, some really wonderful skills of, of rhetoric and, 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 and have some clever argument. Just state the truth. Just say what the Bible says. Well, the next one to respond to, to Paul's testimony to the truth was Agrippa. Herod Agrippa. Now, the Herods, the Herod dynasty of which he was part of, uh, went way back. His great-grandfather was King Herod the Great, the one who had given that order after Jesus was born that all the baby boys in Bethlehem be put to death. That was him. That was his great-grandpa. His father was the one who had put the apostle James to death after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That was this Herod. But something important to know about the Herods. They were not Jews. They were Semitic people. They were kind of cousins of the people of Judea. They could trace their ancestry back to Abraham and Isaac. But for centuries, their family, their line, their, their nation, it was called the, uh, the Idumeans, uh, otherwise known as the Edomites, they had been pagans. They worshipped pagan Canaanite gods and goddesses. But about a century or so before the birth of Christ, that entire nation converted to Judaism. At least they claimed to. So Herod Agrippa would have been at least nominally Jewish and therefore he should have had at least uh, some passing knowledge of, of the Old Testament and have been familiar with the prophecies contained in the Old Testament. And here's where we see another lesson for us as we testify to the truth. St. Paul took advantage of that. He knew that he had some commonality with Herod. He knew that Herod would, would have at least had a passing knowledge of, of, of the Old Testament and the prophecies. And so that's why he said as he turned from Festus now to Agrippa, 
He said, the king is familiar with these things. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. When, when we are testifying to the truth of, of our faith, the truth of Christ's resurrection, it's often helpful. It can knock down barriers and open up doors if we find some commonality. Find something you have in common, something you share, especially something in regard to God that you might share. Maybe the person you're speaking to isn't a professing Christian, but maybe in their background, maybe at one point they went to church or as a kid they went to Sunday school or maybe grandma took them to church once in a while. Or if nothing else, they, everybody shares this in common. We all have this innate knowledge that there is indeed a God, a natural knowledge of God. Start with that. It might open some doors. Sadly, it didn't open any doors with, with Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa then, kind of like Festus, rudely interrupted Paul and he went on to say, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? A couple things we can learn from that. I think first thing we learn from that is um, it often does take time. Maybe sometimes a long time for doors to be opened for us to share our faith with somebody else. Be patient. Be patient. Form lasting relationships. Don't think that just one quick witness of your faith will be all that it takes. But be ready for the long haul. Something else we can learn from, from that? Be ready to face rejection. Paul was rejected. He met with skepticism by Festus and Agrippa when we are met with resistance and skepticism and it is a when not an if when we are uh, don't be surprised at it don't be discouraged by it but but do remember what Jesus said he who rejects you he said rejects me and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me it's not you people are rejecting it's ultimately our Lord but I think there's an, a, an even more important lesson we can learn from what Agrippa said to Paul. He said, do you think you can persuade me to be a Christian? And the answer to that question is no. <laughs> Paul couldn't persuade Herod Agrippa to become a Christian. We can't persuade anybody to become a Christian, to believe the truth of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's not up to us. That's not our job. That is the job of God the Holy Spirit. He works through the word that he equips us with, but he is the one who does the convincing. We are simply called on to spread the seed of God's word, sow that seed everywhere. What happens to the seed of God's word belongs to God the Holy Spirit. It's not our job. One more thing, though, to take away from Paul's witness to the truth before those two skeptics and that's how Paul responded ultimately after he was shut down and rejected by both of those important leaders he, he said this to King Herod Herod Agrippa after Herod said uh, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian Paul replied short time or long I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me 
may become what I am. Pray. When met with skepticism and rejection, pray for those people. Keep on praying for them. Pray that a door may be opened in their lives and in their heart. Pray that the gospel would take root in them. We may or may not have another opportunity to share our faith with them, but pray for them. So did either of those men, did Festus or Agrippa ever come to faith or anyone else who was there that day to listen to what Paul had to say? Well, apparently Paul never got a chance to find out because shortly after this, Paul, along with some other prisoners, was put on a ship bound for Rome. It's the same with us, often. When we share our faith, when we testify to the truth of Jesus' resurrection, we often will never know, not in this world, if that really did have an effect on them. If God the Holy Spirit used that witness, used the word we shared to bring them to faith. Sometimes we do get to see that happen and that is indeed something so amazing and gratifying when you share your faith with somebody and you see the light bulb come on and you hear their words of, of, of faith. Nothing can compare to that. But often we don't have that opportunity and we don't know but one day we will. One day when we, like Thomas, will get to see our risen Savior face to face, we'll get to see and touch and, and feel his warm embrace. And on that day, God willing, when we look around, we too will see many people that we had had the opportunity to witness to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.